One of the underlying presuppositions of the Christian faith is that God is all-powerful, that He can do whatever He wants. God is a God of indescribable power. He's always been that way. You go back to the pages of history and you look at the very first book of the Bible and you see that God creates a universe and speaks through a burning bush and parts the Red Sea and He provides manna from heaven and He causes His people to win these incredible battles when they are greatly outnumbered. And it seems like all throughout the Old Testament, God does miracle after miracle. But then you come to the New Testament and you see this star over a stable and a Savior is born and It says that He's going to save us from our sins. And then He grows up and Jesus has this incredible teaching ministry and healing ministry. Thousands of lives are touched. And then the early church begins after Jesus leaves this earth. And there are signs and wonders that happen in the early church that are just remarkable. And it talks so often about how in human existence the power of God broke into our lives. See, here's the deal. Fundamental to the whole notion of the Christian faith is that with God, all things are possible. But listen carefully now. There's a huge difference in accepting that as a theological premise and proving it to be true in your own life. Here's what I mean by that. Some people have chosen to frame their future on the premise that God exists. But He simply set this world into motion... Step back out of the way and let us go at it with life by ourselves. Now this view is kind of a fatalistic, kind of a doom and gloom view. It basically says basically that we're just kind of playing out some cosmic drama. We have no say in how this drama ends. And in this view, people will often say things like, there's really no reason to pray and seek God. He's already decided what's going to be, what's not going to be. So we're kind of wasting our time doing all that stuff. It's not going to change the course of human life. That's one view. Then there's another view that kind of has a different slant. And this view sees God as being kind of involved in the daily workings of life. But God is not only involved, but He's actually kind of controlling every move. Almost like a puppet tear would control a marionette. Nothing we do is really ultimately our decision, our choice, because God is in control and He has a master plan that we don't influence or affect. And yet then there's another view. And this is almost the reverse of that. And some of you probably grew up in a faith like this, which says that God is in control. And because God is in control, He is obligated to respond to our prayers. And this view says that because we are children of God, created in His image, we can ask anything we want of God, and as long as it's done with pure motives, and God has promised to intercede, and He will answer every prayer accordingly. So when we pray, the only people that we have to blame for not answering or or not having answered prayers is who? Us. We just don't have enough faith. I want you to know that there's a lot of problems with these particular views. And I've really become kind of interested in talking to people about their misunderstanding and confusion about the power of God and really the role of faith in their lives. And I'm going to give you an example, kind of an analogy. It may not be a great one, but it's the best one I have. Some of you ever remember a show called The Bob Newhart Show? Anybody? Bob owned a, an inn up in Vermont in this show. 
And on this show, there was kind of a, a group of guys, a group of brothers actually, and their elevator didn't quite go to the top floor. Anybody remember their names? Larry, Daryl, and his other brother, Daryl. <laughs> and in one particular episode, this little town in Vermont where they lived, they were trying to have a snow festival. The only problem was there was snow and everybody was getting very desperate. The foundation of this little town was resting on the fact that this festival was going to be successful. So out of desperation, they decided to pay Larry, Daryl, and Daryl $2,000. Because they said, these guys said, that they could make it snow through this special ritual they had. So they give them the check for $2,000. And then Larry speaks up and says, well, that's good. But the money isn't everything. Listen to what he says now. This is not going to work unless the town has faith that it will work. The townspeople have to believe it's going to happen. And if the townspeople have enough faith, somehow, some way, it'll begin to snow. And I thought about that episode and I started to think that's really what a lot of people think about accessing God's power, about believing him for the impossible. They kind of think of faith as this wishful thinking that runs contrary to common sense. It's like the little girl in Sunday school uh, who was asked one time, will you define faith for me, sweetheart? She said, yeah, faith is believing in something, even though you know in your heart it can't be true. But that's what really faith is. Faith is not just some sort of inner mystical feeling. Faith is a conscious decision that we make to act upon the power that God has promised and made available to us. It's a desire and a willingness in our lives to do what he wants us to do. If you took a photograph of faith, it would be blurry because faith has movement. Faith is dynamic. It has action. So maybe one way to look at faith belief and action that's based on facts because belief by itself doesn't do you a whole lot of good. For example, uh, I know that Southwest Airlines travels from Tampa to Dallas, Texas. Based on seeing that fact, I can believe it's true, but that belief, will it get me to Dallas, Texas? No. You have to take a step of faith. You have to get on that plane and then the plane will take you to Dallas. That's what we're going to focus on for just a moment here. When we talk about power to live our daily lives for God. There's a well-known passage. Christians, non-Christians know it. Tim Tebow made it famous around the world. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now this verse isn't always talking about what people may think it does. But it does refer to at least accessing and applying God's power to those Below the surface problems and pressures. That's really what we want to know, right? When we come to church, like, what's this going to do for me? Like, what when I leave here and go back to my life on Sunday afternoon and Monday, like, how is it going to help me live? And most people don't doubt the power of God. Most people just haven't learned how to apply heavenly power to earthly problems. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to try to relate to you today the primary way that we appropriate God's power in our lives. And then I want to show you some implications of that. This is a very important topic. So to kind of set it up for this very important way of showing God's power, I want to take a little tour real quick through Scripture. Just real quick. First, we go to the land of Egypt. 
Moses is leading the nation out of bondage. And the Israelites are freed by Pharaoh and they start on this trip to the promised land. And Pharaoh suddenly has, you know, he wakes up and he realizes all my cheap labor is gone. So he takes his army, you know the story. He heads after Moses and the people He's going to bring them back. And as they are chasing them, Moses encounters a serious obstacle called the Red Sea. And with Pharaoh's army gaining on them behind and the Red Sea in front of them, it really looks like a serious problem. So the people, of course, begin yelling at Moses and say, do something. Now, I want you to listen to what God tells Moses. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Use your shepherd's staff, hold it out over the water, and a path will open up before you through the sea. Then all the people of Israel will walk through on the dry ground. In other words, you don't have to keep praying, start marching. God tells Moses that he has promised to intercede, swear, somewhere between here and there. This is very important. Now, I'd like you to think about being an Israelite. What kind of answer is that? I wonder how many of you have been the first one to jump in line. But what Moses is trying to help the people see is exactly what we need to see when we face red seas in our life. We would prefer, let's be honest, we prefer God to respond right now. Before the crisis, before the showdown, before the deadline, before our clothes get soaking wet. (laughs) But God seems to choose a different path. And here it is. God promises his power somewhere between here and there. In other words, God says, you keep walking in the direction I'm leading. Keep trusting me. And as you take one step of faith after another, I'm going to display my power in your life somewhere between here and there. That's what he did. Another scene. Right after this, Moses is dead now. He's gone. A guy, Joshua, takes over for him. And he faces a remarkable and really similar situation with the people of Israel. They're looking over into the promised land, and there's a minor problem. It is surrounded by the Jordan River. They had no bridges, no boats, no scuba diving equipment. So listen to what God tells Joshua. He says, tell the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant that when they reach the river, they must wade in and stand near the bank. When the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth put their feet in the water, the Jordan will stop flowing and the water coming downstream will pile up in one place. Again, God is leading, but he's saying to them, step into the water, see if I don't show up somewhere between here and there. Remarkably, they do this. Wouldn't you like to have been the first guy in line in that situation? Now, unless you think this is just an Old Testament thing, let's fast forward. Jesus is now on the scene. And in Luke chapter 17, 10 lepers come to Jesus. They're social outcasts. They're in bad shape. They've decided that if they don't get healing, they're going to basically die. So they have this little colony that they form, this little group. And in Luke 17, they come to Jesus. And this is what it says. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 lepers stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. 
Again, ten lepers say, Jesus, will you apply God's power in a healing way into our life? And Jesus says, yes, go show yourself to the priest. The priests were kind of like unofficial health inspectors. They were like, they would determine if they could go back into society and if a healing had actually taken place. Now get this mental image in your mind. Ten leopards, they're like a little life group. (laughs) We don't have one here, thankfully, but... They're walking together, and I'm sure there's doubters in the group who say, Are you guys crazy? This priest isn't going to let us go back to our families. And then there's always like the eternal optimist in the group. And he says, You know what? What do we have to lose? Something could happen between here and there. So they head to the health department. And listen to what Luke chapter 17 verse 14 says. And as they went, their leprosy disappeared. As they were going, walking in the direction Jesus said to go, they were healed. Now here's the deal. We could spend a lot of time on this. I'll stop here with the examples. We could do David, you know, uh, and Goliath. We could do Daniel and the three teenagers in a fiery furnace. On and on it goes. But regardless, the story and really the implication of the story is the same more willing to interject his power into the challenges of life provided we are first willing to demonstrate faith in him by walking in the direction he is pointing us see this to me if you want to boil it down is what faith is even though they didn't fully know how didn't fully know where they acted as if he would so let's talk about your life and my life. What are you dealing with that you need this? I'm going to mention one here first. God's power sustains us in our areas of weakness. You remember Paul, the Apostle Paul, talked about this interesting uh, thing he had in his life, a problem. And he asked God to take it away like three times, this thorn in his flesh. And God's answer to him is a pretty powerful answer. He says, each time he said, talking about God, my gracious favor is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So now I'm about to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may work with me and through me. Now this is usually not the kind of thing we Christians like to hear. But I want to just say this. Sometimes God does not take your weaknesses away, friend. Sometimes he uses your weaknesses to make you a stronger person. Sometimes God is more into the development business than he is in the deliverance business. That's a little tough to hear, isn't it? Many, many years ago, over 20 years ago now, I developed a problem that occurred when I would get up to speak before a group of people. I had never experienced it before in my life, but I was getting ready to marry two very good friends of mine. And as I walked out with uh, the groom, who was a good friend, my heart just started racing. I became so weak, very disoriented. Stomach started, had that fluttering feeling coming up. And all I could envision was one of those funniest home videos, except this time it would be the minister who passed out instead of the groom. 
And I look back at the back of the aisle and the, the, the bride and her father made the turn to come down the aisle. And I honestly thought, any minute now, I'm going to hit the floor. And every step she took down that aisle, it seemed to get worse. And finally, I can remember this so vividly as her father got to the end of the aisle. I sensed God just saying to me, just start talking, take it one sentence at a time. One sentence at a time. Now here's a long story short. That's exactly what I did in that wedding. But not just for that wedding, for the next two years of my life. (laughs) Every time I would get up to speak... Didn't matter if it was a youth group, didn't matter if it was a congregation, didn't matter what it was, I would still have that feeling come up in me. Doctors told me it was a mild anxiety. You love how doctors say it, mild anxiety attack. They had no solutions. I want to tell you what I learned during that time of my life. His strength is perfect in our weaknesses. Almost every single time I would have to say under my breath, God, I'm going to trust you to bring your power to bear in my life. And somewhere between me getting up and walking from there to a podium, he showed up every single time. Now it doesn't occur anymore, thankfully. Here's what I want you to know. Some of you are dealing with those kinds of situations and habits and conditions. And I'm not saying that medical help isn't necessary. Certainly sometimes it is. Maybe it has nothing to do with those kinds of things. Maybe it's a temptation in your life. God talked to Paul about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, but remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you will not give in to it. Now, here's a really cool thing. Notice two things. God keeps the temptation from being too strong, and God shows you a way out. So here's a a quiz. If God does those things, what are we supposed to do? Like, what is our part in the equation? We have to walk in the direction of the exit door. And as we do, what God has said is, my power will come to bear in your life. If you think God is going to magically pick you up and transport you out of the situation, friends, you'll be waiting a long time. First thing you do is you just admit, God, I'm going to need some power right now. So I'm going to start walking to that door. And just keep moving in that direction. Keep walking toward that door. Listen, I'm not saying that God doesn't take away problems. He does. I'm not saying God doesn't heal conditions. He does. But sometimes... Things may linger. And part of walking in faith is this. You have to walk with God every day, friends. Not one crisis at a time. You have to get up every day and walk forward in your weakness. And God has said, if you'll do that, I promise you power along the way. Let me give you another one. God's power also will allow... Not just strengthen your weakness and in temptations, but he'll allow his will to be done through you. I'll give you another example, and I apologize for so many examples personally, but this is the best way I know how to communicate this today. Several years ago, I was on a plane trip back from Pennsylvania. And I was on this trip, and I'd been on it for several days, and I'd ran my batteries down. I mean, I was just toast. 
And I had contracted the flu the last day that I was there. And I don't know if you've ever had to take a plane trip home when you had the flu or been sick, but it's awful. And when I got on this plane, it's not like it is today when planes are always crowded. Back then, 20 years ago or 15 years ago, there was a lot of extra seats. So I got to my seat, I sat down, I pulled out a book that I'd been reading, and I set it on the seat next to me, not because I was going to read, but because I was hoping that nobody would take that seat next to me. Thankfully, it worked. And I grabbed a blanket from up top, and I kind of curled up in the corner against the window, and I just was so thankful that I was going to get to sleep all the way home. And right as I went to sleep, the flight attendant came by, and she looked down at the book that I had, and she said these words. She said, oh... A friend of mine just gave me a book by the same guy. I said, yeah, he's a great writer. It was a Max Lucado book. And I kind of gave her one of those like polite but fake smiles. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> and then she said to me, she said, yeah, he's, he, he said he's one of my best friends. He was killed in an automobile accident just a few days ago. And I never have felt like reading it. Now I was wide awake. And here's the dilemma. Do you go back to sleep or do you try to speak some hope into another person's life? Now see, what I'm talking about today is real life stuff, friends. Now I know what I felt like doing and truthfully, if I was so sick, it probably would have been okay to do it. But at that moment, I said, you know, this girl, this lady, this flight attendant needs something in her life. So here's the deal. If she comes back, God, I promise not to be a jerk this time. (laughs) Of course, a few minutes later, she came by, asked if I wanted something to drink. We kind of struck up a conversation. Long story short, this young guy who had been killed had been supporting her through a very difficult time in her life. And I said, listen, the book he gave you is an awesome book. I encourage you to read it. And as I left the plane, when I finally arrived in Tampa, I wrote down another book that just explained the story of God and the grace of God. And I handed that title of that book to her. Now here's the deal. I have no clue what happened in this young lady's life. She could be a follower of Jesus or she could care less. But I do know that when I walked off that plane, I knew that God's power had intervened sometime between the time I boarded that plane and I deboarded that plane. And I shake my head at the times I realized that God wanted to work in my life, but I refused to go along. A friend of mine sent this to me several, several years ago. I've saved it. Some of you, I'm sure, have heard it. I apologize. It's a little crude. doesn't have any any theological weight whatsoever. But I think it's good. He said, one night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there were seen. The footprints of my precious Lord. But mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared. And I asked the Lord, what have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat, but Lord, they are too big for my feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you along. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow the walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired, I got fed up, and there I dropped you on your butt. Because in life there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb, when one must rise and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. (laughs) You can ask Robbie about the theological implications of that. I don't know. You see, some of you face some circumstances 
that keep you from doing good when you want to, from keeping Christ being formed and doing his will in your life. Can I challenge you this morning that when you face those kinds of situations, go ahead and act empowered. Step off the ledge and see if God does not send his strength your way. Listen, when you don't feel like sitting down and talking with your spouse after a long day of work, but they really, really, really need to talk. Listen, act empowered and ask God for strength and see if they don't ask you to shut up so they can get a word in edgewise. When a neighbor calls you for a helping hand and you're tired and you're, you don't have anything, but, but you know they need comforting or you know they need some help, just go ahead and act empowered and see if somewhere between here and there, God doesn't show up and work in your life. Here's the last thing. God's power also allows Christ to be formed in you. And this is the key. See, God doesn't just want to work through you. He wants to work in you because he wants you to become more like his son. See, this is what Christianity is really all about. It's reflecting the character and qualities of Christ. Now, this one's easy to talk about, but it is tough to do. I'm going to give you an example we all know. You run into the supermarket you got to pick up a few items. And because you only have a few items, you go to the express checkout lane, right? That's what they made it for. That's what God created it for. People in a hurry who don't have a lot of items, 10 items or less. And just as you think the coast is clear, just as you see the opening, an elderly lady moves into that lane. Got 100 items if she has one. And instead of asking her to move to the other lane, the clerk actually knows her, greets her by name, and they start talking about Uncle Louie recovering from kidney surgery. As you stand in that line waiting on a hundred items to be checked out, your pulse is racing. Your heart starts pounding a little bit. If you're like me, little red blotches break out on your neck. <laughs> and what always happens in those situations, almost, it's, in, it's inevitable. They call for a price check, right? So you watch your little bad boy run back and forth and back and forth trying to figure out how much talcum powder costs these days. And finally, you pick up the little dividing bar to make sure that the cashier doesn't get your groceries confused with the ladies. And during that moment, this is when the moment of truth arrives. So let me ask you this. So many people think that the way Christ is formed in them is through some mystical and dynamic where he overwhelms them. And when they come to their senses, somehow they've been magically transformed into the image of Jesus. They now act like Jesus and think like Jesus and talk like Jesus. Friends, this is not the way the Christian faith and power works. You become more like Jesus when you live daily under the guidance of the Holy Spirit who gives you power to make the right choices. So in this moment of truth, you stand in line, tapping your foot, you're sighing heavily, and then the Holy Spirit makes you you aware that you are 30 seconds away from being a total jerk. So now what do you do? 
Do you continue acting like an impatient and sensitive person? Or do you display self-control and maybe even a little compassion? And here's the question, and this is so important. If I were to demonstrate faith and act in a way that a patient person would act, would God supply me the grace and power to become a patient man? You don't realize how good that statement was right there. If I were to demonstrate faith and act in a way that a patient person would act, would God supply me the grace and power to become a patient man? And the answer is yes. And the key is, here's the key. How would a patient man or woman act? This is our step of faith. Are you with me? For starters, you'd put down the divider on the counter very gently. You'd probably reach over and you'd grab one of those magazines that tell men how to be better husbands to their wives. And you'd read it from cover to cover. Then you might even, you might even reach out to the elderly lady and ask her how she's doing and how her day is going with sincerity and concern. And if you really wanted to go overboard, you could even say, how's Uncle Louie doing? And then sometimes you get so full of power in that moment that you say, you know what, let me help you take your groceries out of your car. What I'm saying is the key to becoming like Jesus doesn't lie in waiting on supernatural bursts of power. The key lies in performing the action, trusting God to provide power along the way. This is why I smile now when people say stuff like, well, I got a friend or family member and I need to reconcile, but I just don't have the strength. Why not try acting like a reconciling person would act and call that person and see if God doesn't show up and give you the right word somewhere between you dialing that number and them answering on the other end. People say, well, I'm not just a generous person. Why not acting like a generous person? God does along the way. I'm not a very tender person. Listen, the next time the opportunity knocks, why not just stop and say, how would a tender person respond in this situation? God, there are people here today who need power to live. And rather than being just overwhelmed constantly by this surge of supernatural, out-of-body kind of power ask that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead would show up in our lives as we walk in faith in the direction you discern us. Some are dealing with weakness today, Father, and they need to be shown the exit door. Will you show it to them right now? Will you show them the exit? Whether it's leaving a situation or whether it's moving toward another, whether it's a phone call, whatever it is, whatever the exit is, God, I pray that you would show it to them. And now may they take a step of faith and bring your power to bear along the way. God, some in this room are desperate for you to do your will in their life. They want to obey you. They want to trust you. When opportunities come in their life, they don't want to be too busy or too hurried or too preoccupied. They don't want to be so selfish and detached from life that they miss opportunities to speak about you or to show people your grace and your love. So, God, will you right now reveal 
what step we might take. Maybe it's we need to slow down. Maybe it's we need to take things off our plate. Maybe we need to clear our calendar for a week. Maybe we need to have a conversation. Maybe we need to purposely put ourselves into situations where there are people hurting around us. And God, as we do, will you show up somewhere between here and there? And finally, God, there are many of us in this room who, because of our attitude or because of some quality or characteristic in our life, Christ is not being formed in us because we haven't surrendered that to you in those moments. And we haven't asked ourselves, how should I act today? How would a patient man or woman act? How would a forgiving man or woman act? How would a generous man or woman act? And God, as we take that step, I truly believe that you will show up and show out in our lives in a way that we just look back and say, that was the power of God. That wasn't me. I pray that now. And as we take these cards with us, may we put, maybe write the date on it, maybe write the place we need God's power on it, whatever it is we need, may we do that, God, and hold on to that. And as your power comes to bear, may we be so grateful and so mindful that it is you and not us. It is you, not us. And it's not of our own power. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.